let's get it. Monday, April 5th, 2021, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you all had a great week outside of podcast land. It was my birthday on Saturday, uh, but when you get my age, you you kind of forget and you stop counting, but you're always reminded by family when they call. Speaking of family, you know, I never thought I'd be talking to a secretary of Veterans Affairs about my dad's pet raccoons. I do look forward to being on a plane and seeing them myself in a couple of months. Got a couple ratings from last week and a couple reviews as well. First one is from Lisa Ray 810. She wrote in five stars. Great podcast. Great podcast for veterans. I really love these last few episodes highlighting women veterans. I enjoy all the episodes and I'm usually able to walk away with some enlightening information. However, as a woman veteran myself, these last few episodes with Don, Graciela, and Diane have been extremely inspirational and empowering. Truly grateful for women veterans like them who have set the path for myself and other women veterans to follow. Uh, you're absolutely right, Elisa Ray. Those really were some great interviews. They're great veterans who have gone on and done some awesome things after service. I'm glad you enjoyed them. And I hope their stories, you know, from Vietnam to Desert Storm to OIF, continue to inspire you and others who listen in. Appreciate the shout out. Okay, next one is from Seven Quiver. Is he related to Hawkeye? I don't know. He says five stars. He writes in, says, critical info, inspiration, and honor. Tanner is rocking it <laughs> with a great balance of important info for vets and powerful stories of veterans across the spectrum, of which really lift up and honor the service to our veterans. From the first, oh yeah, to the final, lug a thousand rounds, not bringing back one. Tanner is focused on the needs of all veterans. The VA press releases, best when summarized, at bullet, best when summarized as bullet points, noted, keeps us up to date on the important things the VA is doing for our veterans. The interviews are unlike anything found anywhere else. The stories bring me back to the spirit decor and cause me not to drop the flag and keep developing and growing to be the best veteran I can be where I once sought to be the best soldier I could be. I haven't really caught that call to be the best veteran anywhere else in the last 30 years. I have known that I can never get what the army called and made me to be when in uniform. I just haven't realized that the calling for me was as a veteran as well. Thanks, Tanner. In recent episodes for Black History Month and now Women's History Month have deeply impacted me even as a white male. I'm a veteran. I would so like to meet these incredible people for a short time. And Tanner brings them to us. If you're a veteran, whether you know it or not, it is in your heart and in your blood. Be sure to catch Born the Battle to better live as a veteran. Oh, let's get it, quiver. Um, point taken about the bullet points. You know, I always want to summarize them, but sometimes with this info, I have found if you summarize too much, sometimes, sometimes leaving something out changes the whole message and, and you get the wrong info. However, I will heed that advice and look to make them more succinct in the future. You realizing that you have that within yourself. You know, it, it makes me realize what I'm doing on here is worthwhile to someone. It's very humbling to hear what this podcast has been able to do for you within yourself, truly. And you're right, whether you realize it or not, I think a lot of us within the community have that. When I walked away and went into the private sector myself, I felt that exact same feeling that 
something was missing. So, you know, I made my own program within the, my employer to give back to veterans and active duty military that were going to be veterans soon, give them, give back to them in some way. And coming to work for the VA helped me fully realize that, that I was doing, I was trying to get that feeling that I was trying to contribute to something bigger than myself. And if we can all do that, I think us and our community will be better for it. Thanks for writing in. As always, appreciate the feedback every week, especially when they're as heartfelt as these two. If you're so inclined, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's not only a good way to communicate directly with our podcast here, it also helps get Born the Battle recognized by more veterans in podcast land at the same time. News releases only got two this week. Uh, Cool. I'm going to try and bullet these up, Quiver. Uh, First one says, for immediate release, and some of you probably already know about this one. Save Lives was signed into law recently, expanding VA's legal authority to provide COVID-19 vaccines to all veterans, regardless of their VA healthcare enrollment status, as well as veteran spouses, caregivers, and some beneficiaries. The new law removes some of the legal limits on the medical care VA can provide to veterans based on healthcare eligibility and priority groups. Now, this isn't a light switch. VA currently receives approximately 200,000 first or single doses of COVID-19 vaccine each week. VA estimates it will need a minimum of 300,000 first or single doses of COVID-19 of the COVID-19 vaccine weekly to offer the vaccination to an additional 3 million veterans who are enrolled but not currently using VA healthcare. So the ones that are already in the system but aren't using it. VA estimates that it will need approximately 600,000 first or single doses of COVID-19 vaccine of the vaccine each week to further expand vaccination to all individuals outlined in the Save Lives Act. The first or single dose supply, again, and we're only getting 200,000 right now. The first or single dose supply is the best indicator of VA's capacity to offer the expanded COVID-19 vaccination plan. The next direct steps are to offer the vaccine to all enrolled veterans which there are approximately 9.5 million, and then followed by those outlined in the bill as the vaccine supply permits. And those outlined in the bill are non-enrolled veterans as as defined in the new legislation, overseas veterans who rely on the foreign medical program, veteran caregivers who are enrolled in either the program of comprehensive assistance for family caregivers or the program of general caregiver support services, veteran caregivers involved in certain geriatric and extended care programs, civilian health and medical programs of the Department of Veterans Affairs recipients, and veteran spouses. In March and April of 2021, VA will conduct pilots of the COVID-19 vaccination for individuals specified in the act at select VA medical centers. These pilots will work through the critical things like communication, operations, including space and staffing, systems for registration, enrollment, scheduling, documentation, data transmission, all that. Interested veterans, their caregivers, and veteran spouses who qualify under the legislation can go to www.va.gov forward slash COVID hyphen 19 hyphen vaccine to get more information. What I saw from my 10,000 foot view, because I was talking about this with the secretary in last week's episode. And at that time, the supply and the demand were, you know, as soon as we were getting the vaccine, it was going out as soon as we were. So the demand was, was there and we were, we were you know, getting our allocations out in a timely fashion. So Congress saw that and what they passed with this law is basically quintupling the demand and we're still getting the same allocations. 
what this does is that it increases the demand exponentially and we are meet, and we're asking for more allocations from Congress and from HHS to meet that demand that, that that is now put upon us. Okay, next one says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs started implementing in March steps to improve its post-traumatic stress disorder claims processing. Uh, I think we actually, I think a veteran actually had a question about this to the secretary in last week's interview as well. During the next six months, VA will provide training, guidance, and process updates to ensure claims processors better understand evidence gathering and stressor verification requirements for PTSD claims. The updated training was developed partly in response to a VA Office of Inspector General internal review of approximately 118,000 claims completed during the fiscal year of 2019 involving veterans entitled to service connected for PTSD. While most claims for service-connected related PTSD are accurately processed, the Inspector General found claims processors did not follow all task-based procedures when deciding the claim. The Inspector General reviewed about 150 claims and determined that the Veteran Benefits Administration claims processors inaccurately processed about 24 of those 150 claims. VA is also assessing the reorganization of procedural guidance to ensure claims processors make both accurate decisions and follow required policies. You can find the full report, and this is, uh, you got you to gotta type this one in perfect, at www.va.gov forward slash OIG forward slash pubs forward slash VAOIG hyphen 20 hyphen 00608-29.pdf. And I'll put a link to that in this episode's blog on blogs.va.gov. All right. This week, we have a former Navy veteran, former SEAL, actually. He's an actor who's been in film in the Transformers franchise and in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. On TV, he's performed on The Last Ship, Hawaii Five-0, Colony, and had a reoccurring role in Mayans MC. He's also founded VitalWarrior.org which is a nonprofit dedicated to providing clients with non-pharmaceutical solutions to healing. His system includes all kinds of stuff like meditation, Kudalini yoga, which he personally teaches, Brazilian jiu-jitsu that has the support from people like former USC fighter Kenny Florian, acupuncture, flotation pools, all kinds of stuff that I'll let him explain. So without further ado, I bring to you Navy veteran, Mikhail Vega. Enjoy. That's my whole practice. That's all why I do all the meditation and stuff. It's like I try, I'm just trying not to do mad at people anymore. <laughs> that's, that's an that's an attractive proposition for a lot of veterans. <laughs> <laughs> Highly effective, because there's so many people to be mad at, and especially like I'm a I'm a West Coaster. I came from Washington State, you know, and then coming to the East Coast and seeing seeing how everybody is tightly wound. And, uh, and wanting to get back to a little bit of the West, bring a little bit of the West coast mentality to the East coast. Good luck. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. So, um, let's back up a little bit. So I make sure we get everything. Um, I think I asked you how many, how many operations that did you do and how many deployments did you do as a seal? Yeah. Six is six. Um, how many operations did I do? I, I got to look on the write-up. 
Let's see. <laughs> uh, I led 40 uh, DA missions is what it's oh, – oh, it says over 40, whatever that means. You know how <laughs> – A lot. The answer is a lot. You're very yeah. experienced in what you do. I got to tell you, man, uh, and, and that it just – man, I got to tell you, like as a SEAL – I was average on everything on the seal scale, right? I was average. I was like your average shooter. I wasn't the best shooter. I wasn't the best runner. I wasn't the worst, you know, um, in anything except my personal life, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but, uh, I like to drink and fight, man. Sorry. You know, uh, <laughs> and that I was, I felt like I was born in the wrong time. Um, you know, a lot, but, what, uh, what time, what time would you think that you should have been born in? Oh man. Well, it was probably carryover from previous lives. Uh, Viking era would have been great. Mm. You know, that's kind of my heritage is uh, Northern Germanic, you know, uh, barbarian type thing. Solid choice. Yeah. So that's where I kind of came from, you know. You call yourself an average seal, right? But you're still a seal. Um, but you know, you're, you're you're also a seal with two bronze stars with valor. Um, I also read that you you earned a purple heart as well. Yeah, uh, the 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 enemy marksmanship medal. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was that was from a roadside IED in Iraq, but. So basically, um, so I, I, I learned about the SEAL teams while I was EOD. And then uh, I knew I had this knowing, right, um, that if I got the opportunity to go to SEAL training, that I'd make it. It was just like this internal thing. I know that sounds – it may sound egotistical or something like that, but it was just – if anybody out there has experienced that where you kind of know something – it, it, it where you're kind of being urged down a path um i always had that connection because in my childhood i my grandmother raised me baptist and these types of things but i've always had this and i always saw the hypocrisy of religion right uh for me this is a, now remember anybody out there listening to this this is my experience i'm not like projecting you know this is my experience this isn't my belief this is my experience okay my experience that's why you're here man that's why you're here yeah yeah thank you very much um it's an honor truly and uh so so my experience was is is that while religion held some you know there there are these truths within the religion man's embodiment of those truths and the way that they use those truths to harness and control other people's beliefs isn't the best way wasn't the best way for me to have an experience of those truths right gotcha basically as i went along i kind of cut out the middleman you know and and i started to you know using tools and techniques that i found as a child in prayer of how I would connect to God and, and, you know, to varying success of that throughout my years of extreme loneliness and, and searching and ex, no, excruciating pain, um, uh, that, uh, that I understand, uh, children and teenagers go through. 
especially in the case of repeated abuse and, and these types of things. And there's a big stamp of irony on that that I'll get to here in a minute that occurred this year, actually. Um, uh, you know, with, with my son, you know, and, um, I always had that connection. Right. And so through that connection, I, I, when I originally joined the military, I went into EOD and I found my own reasons for doing it. And I kind of made it, faked it till I made it. Cause I really didn't know my, ass from a hole in the ground. And I was just like going, well, all right, I'm going down this. I'm doing this because why am I, I needed some sort of a reason why I was doing it. And, you know, for me, it was, it was, I wanted to, as I grew in strength and, um, you know, in, in physical strength is, you know, my maturity came on and I started to learn how to fight and these types of things. And I, I, I wanted to be a shield for people that couldn't protect themselves. It just kind of became that. Right. Um, and, and so I had this overly developed sense of justice, um, and which I don't, which is an oxymoron, right? I don't feel like you can really have an overly developed sense of justice, uh, because, uh, and what that did is that kind of that, that sense of justice, um, uh, was basically the kindling for, you know, the powder kegs of explosives that, uh, you know, I experienced throughout the years. Right. Because I had this conviction of right and wrong and, and it was of course, uh, egregiously, um, violated on, uh, across the board through, you know, you know, the way I perceive, you know, right and wrong and, and the way that people would just you know, breach those, those, uh, code of ethics, you know, while preaching those code of ethics, the hypocrisy of it was just bred in me, this constant source of frustration and anger, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of this world that I'm living in with no real tools on how to deal with that. So what do I do? Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to stop people. You know, I'm going to point this arrow at at this type of uh, trajectory, and I'm going to be the best fighter. I'm going to be the best. You know, I, I want to be the strongest. Um, you know, the best drinker I can be. You know, I want to be the most respected guy in the EOD detachments and these types of things. A hundred percent, all at all times. You want to go a hundred percent full board, yes. no matter what it was. All of it. All yeah. of it. Why is the rum always empty? Yeah. So thank you, Jack Sparrow. Yeah, exactly. It's a true thing. That was my thing. So, so, you know, that was, that was it. Right. And, and so I created this persona that I moved through, you know, the community with. And, but at the end of the day, even with that, I was really good at the actual job, you Mm -hmm. know, which was, you know, being a janitor for, you know, everybody else that's having fun, to be quite honest, you know, like the guys dropping bombs on islands, you know, we get to go clean up the ones that didn't, didn't go off. You know, we, we're, we're the ones that go and, you know, clean out the IEDs of the guys that, you know, left them around or the landmine, the aircrafts that coming back to the aircraft carrier, the stuff didn't launch off the, what it goes on and on. But, but sometimes you got to do some really cool work where you go get rid of something that washed up on the beach and was going to hurt some kids, you know, or, you know, the, the, those were the moments, right. That made everything so worthwhile for me, you know, and, um, doing good for some, someone else. Yeah. And that's the thread 
All right. So that's the beginning of the thread. As I started to experience those things, and it, it was, it was the connect. At the end of the day, it was the connection between myself, God, and the people that I was doing it for. And so as things progressed, I found that my personality was much more in alignment with those of the seals, you know, um, sure. in, infinitely more. And uh, I finally got my shot and I made it through first time. Um, and uh, it was, it was for me, like seal train, the buds piece was, yeah, it's challenging, but it was, it paled in comparison to the challenges that I'd face after. Like it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what anybody thinking about there. We're going to go into the SEAL teams or anything for. Uh, just understand that training is the easy part. You know, seriously, like seriously, that's, that's not the, even that's the, that's the that's, prep you for the hard stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just just so, to get, just to get you used to feeling of the the feeling of being uncomfortable. Not even used to it so much as 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 weeding out the people that can't endure it because I don't know that you ever get used to it you know what i mean it's just like you just go you know what i mean you go and you focus your mind and you do your thing you know and then uh and you get better at you get better at navigating it of course you know but uh and then you become something different altogether you know and there's periods of times where you kind of look forward to when it's like that you know and then when it's taken away from you and it's no longer like that then you're something different and you don't know how to be in the space. That's not like that. Absolutely. If that makes sense. So the way I've seen you talk about seal teams in some of your interviews, the men you served with uh, that career, that aspect of your life, the amount of reverence that you speak of it. It made me think of a previous interview I did with uh, he, he was a former CEO of mine uh, at, the, at one of my schoolhouses, Danny Chung. And he's now the, the chief of staff for Microsoft military affairs he said that even though it's been over 10 years since he's left the military, he doesn't feel that he's fully transitioned into like civilian Danny. Do you, do you have that same sentiment? You are bringing up the core of what I teach to veterans through the nonprofit Vital Warrior. A- absolutely. Uh, but, but there's a reason for that, and I'll go into that. So we absolutely have to put a pin in that because it's a critical piece. Absolutely. Um, but – when I joined the mil- uh, joined into the uh, when I went into the SEAL teams, you know, um, you know, I, I still even even in the SEAL teams, I had I had problems with you know fighting and these types of things. Believe it or not, because it would just spark up out out in town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so over time, I started to get better and uh, and you know started focusing in these types of things and. Um, you know, is at the beginning of the, um, the beginning of my career in the SEAL teams. You know, I had problems with alcohol and these types of things, and you know, um, I didn't have problems with alcohol. You know, what would you know the the it just happened that that you know all this really unfortunate stuff would happen when I drank. <laughs> you know it's just a coincidence it's all just a coincidence <laughs> so so after after smacking myself against the concrete on that um over and over and over again i finally was like you know what maybe i just shouldn't drink you know this is causing all this hate and discontent uh, let's just like stop you know yeah. and so I started moving in that direction. And uh, 
so uh, we were in Germany. You know, that's when we did the Bosnia, um, the the Kosovo thing, the Kosovo thing, and um, you know that was fun. And then and then nine eleven happened, and you know, gearing up for all that, and you know, deploying. You know, we initially were doing the. Um, you know, I was a I was the shift leader for the deputy prime minister through the interim. Uh, democratic elections and all these types of things, you know, 300, you know, three different nations trying to kill this guy and, and, you know, (laughs) doing a mission set that, you know, wasn't necessarily the seal mission set, you know, and, but we crushed it, you know, we did a really good job and it's more department of state and CIA and all that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it was great. You know, like yeah. yeah. To put this in perspective, you know, for a break, we'd go over to BIAP and we'd do direct action missions. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was our that was our reward for doing a good job. You know. So wow. during one of those missions, we were coming back from an op and and uh, a roadside IED uh, went off on my vehicle, low ordered, low ordered, and. Um, I didn't know it at the time. I just thought it like, like it knocked me out and I'm, I'm, I'm like sitting there and it didn't even down the vehicles. It threw like quarter size hole. It was like Pulp Fiction, you know, where the guy busts out and he's like blasting off all those rounds and they're looking around like nobody's hit. Yeah. It's a divine intervention, you know? So, <laughs> so it was like that because it, this thing was packed. The back was packed full of, uh, Iraqi soft. The internals were packed like, and there was like these quarter size hole through the breacher blankets and nobody got hit. Wow. You know, other than me, I was in the turret and I, the, the shockwave of it, uh, got a hold of me and it, um, Jeez. and so, it caused uh, severe cervical trauma. Um, years later, you know, they said it was fractured. Who knows? But um, you know, MTBI, ulnar nerve damage, all these types of things. To be quite honest, I think that was just an amalgamation of different things, close proximity explosives as a breacher, and all these types of things that that just you know kind of combined. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, the cost of doing business, right? Um, no. Did these injuries play a factor of you getting out? Oh. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. Um, so, you know, fast forward to, uh, the second tour to Iraq, that's one of those career, like, you know, is Jocko was out doing Ramadi and we were, you know, the, the sister platoon, so to speak of, uh, not sister platoon, but, um, the, the, the other entity in Iraq doing, uh, we were doing tier one hits, you know, with, uh, in conjunction with CAG and these types of things. So, uh, it was, it was, um, you were left team. He was right team. Exactly. Speaking of, speaking of Jocko and, and, and some other people that, that you served with while you were in, uh, can you either give me your best friend or your greatest mentor? Ooh, well, I didn't have a lot of, I had, I had very few friends, right? Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I, I don't use that term lightly. Um, sure. but my mentor would be, uh, Fran Rogers. He was a master chief that served with my father and, uh, he stayed in 30 years and, uh, he was a, he was a profound mentor for me. Um, Pete Poulian was another one, uh, that I was highly respected, uh, both master chiefs, right? Um, gotcha. if we were looking at an officer, Peluso, would be uh, one of my uh, one of the officers that I respected the most. He was fantastic, and uh, you know, uh, Jocko 
I, I, I respect Jocko as well. He was my skipper uh, when I was at uh, Trade Ed at the end. Uh, he was a West Coast guy. I was East Coast. So, uh, and then, and then, lastly, uh, a really big one: uh, the guy, a guy that was, um, you know, instrumental in uh, at near the end of my uh, career in the Navy uh, was Master Chief Lindell, and um, he was he was paramount in helping me to find my path uh, in this new world I'm in now. So. Gotcha. Very good. What was, uh, what, if you were to pick out one thing that maybe one of these mentors taught you, what would have been? Uh, well, Fran, Fran always kept my connection going. Like whenever I, Fran was there and, and helped me to, uh, remember my connection to God at all times. Mm. So that was, that was, they're all for different reasons, man. You know, so mm. it's like, of course, Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Some, are, some are technical mentors, some are spiritual mentors, some are, you know, it's interesting are, how I had all of them. Right. You know, uh, yeah. Jocko was the physicality freaking, uh, you know, Lindell was the, uh, protector of the path, you know, and, and just how to be as a human, uh, uh above average, you know, experience. Yeah, all these types of things, kind of a trifecta of of teachers and mentors that came into my life to make me uh, who I am today. You know, that's outstanding. The most common years I see, you know, when I, folks leave the military is is either four years or or twenty or thirty. Uh, twenty twenty two years in, twenty two years is, is kind of an odd year. Mm. Is there a story by behind twenty two? It's interesting, right? 22 is an interesting number. And it wasn't quite 22. It was just before 22. But we can, if you look at the regular number system, we round up, don't we? So they say there's two paths to spiritual uh, enlightenment, right? One is isolation, you know, and others extreme pain. And I chose B for some damn reason. (laughs) (laughs) What was, uh, what was going on at the time, if you don't mind me asking? So I came back from uh, my second deployment, uh, my second combat deployment, my my sixth yeah. deployment, um, and uh, I I couldn't sleep for four days at a pop. I was I was getting into a situation where I couldn't sleep for four days at a pop. Didn't know what was going on. Uh, that's where they started introducing the pills. And this wasn't the VA. I'm not pointing my finger at the VA right now. In fact, the VA wasn't the ones that drugged me up. It was actually active duty when all this started. So, so do you, you were still in, this was still, I was in still DOD in. System. Yeah. 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 So I started getting drugged up, uh, by Balboa Naval Medical Hospital, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and you know, and before, you know, regular Navy and these types of things and, and, and not anything, you know, I originally, you know, kind of had the thing on it where it was like this beating the war drum against pills and all these types of things. But then I realized that there is a place for that, you know, and it's just that we, we go there too quickly. You know, we, there, I've learned a lot. Uh, and there's a reason I had those experiences sure, so that I could learn, you know, so they could learn and teach and these types of things. You've but been, you've been very, you've been very open about the dangers of, of, prescription pills and only prescription pills as a, as a, or prescription pill cocktails as a one size fits all for PTS. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and you went, you went over, you went down that road. And I, and I, I think it's safe to say that the VA heck society in general didn't know how to handle the influx of combat veterans in, in many ways. That's accurate. You know, and I've told my own personal story with the VA many times on this podcast. Uh, mine was more physical therapy related, but I walked away for four years and, you know, I finally found a, a good ther- therapist when I came back through the, through the mission X community care program, uh, where I could find my own local physical therapist. That's the, but that's beside the point that, you know, unfortunately our generation had to endure that, those hard lessons of our society, um, how they needed to support us coming home and coming out of the military. Yeah. However, I also think it's, I also think it's fair to say that due to veteran advocacy from many angles, as we're starting to see changes in the VA and in society. And, and now that was part of the reason I was excited to host this podcast is so I can dig into some of those changes and see what's been done. And I can let as many other veterans that I know that as many other veterans that, uh, you know, I can, I can get it out there. So that's, that's one of the reasons I, I, I enjoy this doing this podcast is so I can do that. It's fantastic. You know, it's, 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 that's a fair assessment, I think, you know, and, and you've been very open about that. And, and, you know, I think it's important to understand where this road started for you and how you got out of it. That's, that's great lead in. Um, so I actually, it's funny, man, like, uh, the, 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 the mentality around combat related stress at the beginning was if you raise your hand for that, you're considered weak or something's wrong with you, even though other people were experiencing the same types of things. But if you're, you know, which is the antithesis, right? Yep. You're actually the strong guy that stands up in that crowd of scrutiny and goes, Hey, something's wrong. Like something's off. You know what I mean? And, um, Leadership is sometimes a lonely mountain. Yeah. I didn't look at his leadership at the time, right? It, it, it just felt incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, <laughs> Absolutely. Just, Absolutely. it just sucked. And, and so on top of that, right, I had to take two weeks after I came back from combat, um, I had to take emergency custody of my son because his mother uh, abused him horribly. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, he was six years old. And, and, and that's wow. I was like, you know what? Something's off. I really wanted to focus on art and these types of things. And, and I couldn't get into it. And like, they destroyed my house. They flooded, like they were building out. So I had this four story condo and they flooded the whole place out while they were installing a sink and, and destroyed everything in there. So, and then nobody wanted to pay for it. I was starting to work up in another platoon and, you know, all these types of things were going on, right? All this was happening at once. All this was happening at once and took emergency custody of my son, you know, and then when we're waiting for the hearing, his mother um, had some, some issues she was going through. She tried to commit suicide and, um, while we're waiting for the hearing and then there, then the state is contemplating how they're going to give my son back to her. It's like, what, <laughs> you know? Oh, so, and then they told me, I remember, uh, this is the state of Virginia. This is how they work. Um, they're like, uh, how much were you gone last year? And I was like 10 months. And yeah. they're like, how about the year before? And, and I'm like, 10 months. I see where you're going with this. And you're like, well, we don't see how it benefits your son to give you custody if you're gone 10 months out of the year. Fair point, right? Fair you point. know, fair point. Um, 
But then when I said, well, he's got a stepmother that's been in his life since he was, you know, one. Also a fair point. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, but, you know, she's she's from the Czech Republic and, you know, and there may be some language barrier stuff. And we're just I was like, so you think it's better to put him in a home to, than to be with someone who loves him? You know, and, and they're like, that's not. And I go, I go, let me get this straight. Because I go down range, you know, to, to, to protect your way of life with my guys, you're going to put my son in a home. And she's like, that's not what I'm saying. I was like, that's exactly what you're saying. I was like, what makes you think I can go down range literally for years and kill for people that obviously don't give a and I wouldn't do a hundred times more for those closest to me. You got to understand the mentality I'm in at this time. I just came out of war, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling her this and you got to understand how I look. I got like this bald head. I got this big <laughs> ass mustache. I'm like 238 pounds. You're a big guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, <laughs> you remember barbarian, right? Yeah. I'm like yep. a dude with yep. the, like, and now I look like the barbarian with the flames on his back. You know, he's half on uh. fire, still swinging the ax. And, uh, and she's like, are you threatening me? And I'm like, no, you don't get it. No, I'm not. And I was like, I was like, don't worry about my job. I'll find something. My command will take care of me. I hadn't been on, I never, I never, I hadn't been on shore duty uh, the entire time as a SEAL. It was going on, what, eight years or something like this. Um, so, yeah, you, you've been pretty acclimated to war, but not as much as civilian, it's like civility. No, no civility, no civility really. And, and But that was, that was common through my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was a, I was a product of the experiences that I was having without understanding the why of I, I was having them and, sure. and much less the, the, the means of incorporating them. You know, and I think a lot of veterans go, go through that. Absolutely. You're not alone in that. No, no, we are not. And so, so I went to my master chief. I was like, Hey, here's the situation. I can put my son in a home. We're going to deploy again in two months. Oof. And, uh, I basically had to choose between two families, right? I had to choose yeah. between that dream uh, and and being a seal and all these types of things and all the great work that we do there and the and my blood family, right? Yeah. And so I chose blood. And and I'm really glad I did. Well, my hat's off to you that you were able to straddle that for for 20 years, for 22 years as it is. Well, here's the thing, brother. Um, I, I didn't do it gracefully at the end. Uh, there was a lot going on and um, I, I took custody of my son. I was still trying to figure out how, what the hell was going on with me. I wasn't a very good father, uh, not only to that, that child, but my other two children, my older two children, you know, because I was always focused on war. You know, and I was focused on doing the job that I was, that I felt like, um, because I went from the shield, I was praying to be the shield for God to being the hammer. And, and I was granted that and I got to do that and the reward for that. And this is something you don't see. And this was a, the other thing that, that happens within us. And this is something that's critical. And 
when you go down range and you have an experience, let's say you go into a, an area and you liberate this area from terrorists, op, a cell operating in that area that where they're, they're cutting the heads off and setting them um, on the neighbor's porch saying you're next uh, and giving them time frames. And, and if you're helping the Americans or these types of things, you know, and you go in there and you remove that and you have people coming out in the streets, you know, and you engage with that person at what you just did for them. And, and that's a shared experience of life and death that cannot be comparable to anything else that I had ever experienced up to that point. The amount of satisfaction you get and the amount of confirmation, divine confirmation, that that is absolutely the right thing to be doing, regardless of the reasons why we're in the country in the first place. Who, sure, who cares? Sure. You know, but down to the individual, why is it you're doing what you're doing and what is the payoff? And for me, the payoff was that reciprocation of that energy between the human experience and it goes beyond the human experience into a, a spiritual type of thing that can only be considered divine in my personal opinion. Then you're expected to come out of that and then what, right? Then go, go grocery shopping. Like you've got that ultimate purpose. Then what do you do? You know, and that I feel is a big piece of, of a lot of our issues. You know, I think, and I know I'm talking to an EOD tech, but I think the one thing the Hurt Locker got right was, <laughs> I, I understand, um, was- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to chuckle. No, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I've talked to a lot of EOD techs about the Hurt Locker. You're talking about the grocery store, right? The grocery store scene. Yep. Absolutely. I think that if they got anything right in that whole film, it was the feeling of going grocery shopping Ugh. after- after something like that. Absolutely. I agree. That's how I knew exactly what you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, you, you've been very open about, um, you know, your, the dark path that you did land, that you did land coming, you know, on your exit of of the DOD. How did it get right? How did you get off the psychoactive pills? How did you get back to where, to where you are now? I was on 13, about 13 different medications at some point. Um, that weren't working. I was going into the Balboa Naval Medical Center like twice a week talking about my stuff to some J.O. that's just punching a ticket for six months and and writing up a paper. And, you know, is how it felt. Like it was just like. It, it wasn't the right one for you. Well, no, it was a number of them. You know, that's the thing is it kept changing. Mm. Yeah, I went through a whole bunch of them doing the same thing and I saw the pattern. You know, so it's like, man, it is a training command. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm in the military. That's part of the thing. So I, I remember I, I, I started having this uh, self-diagnosed, you know, pharmaceutical induced cardiac arrest. And I say self-diagnosed because nobody else was there, but uh, I was walked out and I could feel my heart pounding. And I was like, Ugh. and I went and I, and I, the students came running up to me. I was on the Island and the students came running up to me. He's chief. You look gray. You know, and I was like, and I felt death, right? I felt mm. death. And I was like, and, and I got to tell you, it, 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 I, I was, it was the first time I felt peace in years. The amount of peace I felt, 
I was like, finally, finally, it was like, finally, you know, this is over. And that's scary. It wasn't scary. No, it wasn't scary, but, but, but being close to death is what finally gave you peace. That's scary. That's yeah. a scary thought. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't die. And that's when I really truly understood the meaning of the word fury. You know, uh, that's the first time I truly experienced it. Everything else was rage, anger, but fury at, at the people that were supposed to be trying to help were killing me is what I felt. And, and the situation that I was in and why am I in this situation and, and, and how did I get here and these types of things. Right. So what that did was it, that elicited a series of events where I revolted against the system. You know, I was like, I am no, and this is where the master chief James Lindell came into play. So critically is that, um, one, just overall teaching me how to be a better human, but two, um, you know, this, this, uh, he sheltered, he saw that and he afforded me the opportunity to, to explore it, grow it and become it. And so basically I was being medically discharged, uh, due to the injuries that I had neurosurgery in 2009 because, you know, you stack one more thing up there, neurological symptoms showed up. Uh, I was taking hard rights while I was getting out of chairs, you know, into the ground, you know, I was, um, because of vestibular issues. And then, um, and then like, I, I lost all my grip strength in my right hand and, uh, you know, I had to use my back to lift my arm type stuff. And so you're physically and the mind at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's like, what the hell is going on? So they went in, did some, a lot of testing. They, they went in and basically the, the, uh, the fracture had uh, closed off my C5, C6 nerve roots and, and they had to go in there and dremel out the space. And once they did though, it was good to go. You know, like, like that, that aspect of it was good. There was still a lot of pain management. You know, I was still in a lot, I'd like get migraines really bad in these types of things, which still occur from time to time. So, um, gotcha. but they're getting better and better. So, um, now what year was this? Did you, did you, did you leave? Uh, 2009 was neurosurgery. Gotcha. So when, when, when did you get your final? So I was being medically discharged in 2012. However, after 2009 and that whole, you know, revolt thing started happening, I started seeking out things that made me feel better. I wanted to take things into my own hand. I was getting off those pills. I knew they were no good. Sure. Uh, I kind of white knuckled through that, which I highly recommend you do with a, a doctor that supports you getting off of those pills because, uh, I had some events that were like, like crazy, uh, mental types of disturbances getting off of those pills and, um, so have, have support, have support, titrate off of them. You know, it takes time. I got like these brain buzzes where like, it would like, it was just those things, uh, we've, we've got to explore every other option than those pills before we, we, we look at those things, you know? Yeah. Don't just don't, what you're trying to say is don't go cold Turkey on your own. Don't go cold Turkey on your own and explore other options before you do it. You have to, like you have to, you have to. But so, so as I'm going through this process, I was asked, um, 
by another mentor, you know, another uh, Vietnam era SEAL, Harry Humphreys. Uh, and, um, you know, he was my mentor in the creative world and, and just how to navigate things and how to be on set and all these types of things. And so he had been working um, a small known franchise called Transformers. Tinies, tiny. tiny. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we had a guy, we, ha- we have a, a former guest uh, in our archives who ran the social media account for Megatron during that time. That's funny. I didn't even know Megatron had a social media account. That's crazy. He had his own MySpace with over, with over 500,000 followers. That's funny. And it was a veteran that was behind that account. That's cool. That's cool. You might know Mark Harper. He's president CEO of We Are The Mighty out there in LA. Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know him. They actually did a number of articles on uh, you know stuff that I've had going on. So yep. um, they've been a great advocate as well. Very good. Very good. Um, so... So I was asked to be on this thing, right? And uh, you got to understand, I have all of those things going on as I, I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds exciting. That sounds like it'll be fun. Ba 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 ba. Yeah. Well, I got there and you remember how I look, 230 plus pounds now, like 230, 250, 60, because I was in metabolic syndrome and uh, I started gaining weight for no reason. And it was crazy. Um, yeah. And uh Michael Bay comes over and he's like, whoa, what the hell do they call you? And I'm like, <laughs> and I go, hooch. That was my nickname, hooch. hooch. <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh, perfect. He goes, he goes, do you want to be an actor? And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, okay, come here. He goes. So at this point you were just, you were background talent. I was background. I was special ability extra. Wow. And okay. Yeah. I was a Coke can in the background. Gotcha. And he goes, Very he good. goes, hey, he goes, hey you want to be an actor? And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, he goes, okay, come here. And he's like, wait a minute. What can you act? And I go, you're the director. Don't you have to be the judge of that? <laughs> and he's like, fair enough. All right, here's what you're going to do. And I remember they started putting the mic on me. He's telling me what I'm doing. And I look on this, it's $60,000 an hour set. And I don't know if you remember Transformers 3, but it, it's the – Okay, so there's this skyscraper that's fallen over when this giant, you know um, – Is that when like the worm uh, thing is kind of wrapping thing, around? Yeah, yeah like it's, it's shockwaves attacking the, the building and he sends his pet up there to crush the, the pillars and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what's happening, right? So I'm the bald dude that's, uh, you know, with the big mustache and the rocket launcher and all that stuff. I, I remember that and, very well. You know, so so you went from a background actor to that. You know, you had a lot of speaking ro- roles in that film. I did, and here's the why. So, I, and this is a funny story that you don't get to see. Yeah. If you notice in that particular scene, you see me lean out of the building, and then I look back over my shoulder and I say, "They're shooting at the building." Well, that's not the original line. <laughs> I remember I was standing there. They're miking me up, and and then I and then I felt like somebody was choking me out. And, and I remember them going action and what he wanted me to do was run down to the end and look like I was freaked out and, and, and nervous and all these things. And I did that really well. But then I said the wrong words. (laughs) He's like, you want the original words were the buildings teetering, you know? And, uh, and then, and then I look out and I go, the buildings tiltering. Ah, and uh, he's like, cut, you can't say that. I, I said an inappropriate word afterwards. He goes, you can't say that word. It's a kid's show. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
and I did it again. And then, you know, like, like I remember, and this is, this is a critical point and this ties back into the combat thing. So what has happened is, so I'm sitting there and, and I'm walking down the street. You got to remember, I've got blood on me. I'm super soaked. They call me hooch for a reason because this chemical reaction kind of happens in my mouth when I run really hard and it like, like, you know, the <laughs> dog it. off a Turner and hooch. Yep, 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 like, yep, that's yep, how I got it. the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. like you could tie your shoes with this stuff. Um, oh my gosh. So I'm sitting there and, and I, I remember about a hundred meters away, they got everybody blocked so they can't come into the set and obviously, but there's huge crowds. And I remember seeing this little kid and I remember seeing him and our eyes lock and he stiffens up and he grabs his mom's pant leg and he's shaking it. And, and he's like, looks up at her and he looks back at me. Like, is he looking at me? And I lean down and I point both fingers at him. I'm like, you, and he's like, Oh, <laughs> And he like looks and he grabs his mom. He's like, look, look, look. And I start walking over to him, right? And the closer I get, the more dumbstruck, like like this kid's just like, oh, like like the second coming of Christ is happening, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. And 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 I grab him and I pick him up and he's just like looking at me. I look over at his mom and she's like crying. You could tell like they they probably like lived out of a car because they were really dirty and like you know his, their father breaks out this wind-up camera and they're like can we they have a heavy accident and they're like, hey can we take a picture and you're not supposed to take pictures and i look at the kid and i'm like you're not gonna put this on your facebook page are you mm. and he's like he's just like staring and i gotta tell you that experience it hit like a lightning bolt and it was it was the the understanding of purpose in the creative space. So before I told you about liberating that town where I first time I felt that sense of purpose, that profound sense of divine purpose, but that was on, that was on the spectrum of destruction. This was the, it, it was equivocal and it was in the realm of creation that I can use creation, creativity to have that same type of connection and purpose. And very that good. was a very, it, that was a critically profound experience as I'm engaged with this, these people and that sharing of that purpose. And that's why I do what I do in film and television. That is the why, is to have that type of connection. Now, multiply that from what I've learned through this study of this warrior-based meditation system. And now we're really talking about an acceleration of purpose, right? Um, so much so that that it, it it prompted me to form Vital Warrior, which is a nonprofit organization centered around the cultivation of a creative force within oneself using these these uh, warrior-based principles in meditation, breathing, and and posture to to elicit a creative response within oneself that that creates a projection that can actually shape others around them that's it that's what i do that's what this nonprofit's about and there's other things to to kind of amplify uh that effect that support it you know with getting the bot dealing with pain management helping to increase focus you know relaxing injury and 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 just bringing things back around and you know 
and making things available. Um, the biggest piece, obviously, the foundation of which is this uh, is this lineage of you know through the Rama Institute uh, here in Los Angeles and and the the veterans program that we've set up that you guys shared the blog about and what we offer you know uh, on a streaming platform is uh, you know tools and techniques that men and women can use that that will help create their specific. Uh, understanding of the why they were given life's experiences. The biggest thing that that I feel that we needed to learn, that I needed, was to for somebody to teach me how to interpret what's going on inside my head and what my experiences are for myself. To experience that myself, not not go to somebody and talk about something and and have them use the filter of their experiences and learnings to then tell me what is going on inside my own head, but to, sure. to, to teach me how to figure that out myself. And this Absolutely. has been the fastest method of doing that. Gotcha. So you, you started this, this nonprofit vitalwarrior.org doing some research. You do a lot of, you do, you do a lot of work with veterans and, and veterans can come into it. Did you say that that's streaming now? It absolutely is. And uh, we had uh, 500 veterans after your post. Thank you. so. I'm so grateful to the VA for hosting us on that platform. 500 yeah. veterans reached out to us uh, with interest in, in what we're doing. 500 awesome. from one post. You know, the vet resources and, and what they do with the with the email newsletter, they, they do amazing things. It goes up to about 12 million veteran email accounts, you know, mm. through a newsletter. So it's so, incredible. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that we do with the podcast is it, it goes in that newsletter every week and it goes out to the entire, if you've signed up for, for VA services, it goes to your email account unless you opt out of it. But it, right, as it stands right now, it's about 12 million email accounts. Wow. Which is fantastic. You know, that's what we need. You know, that's what we're about. And yeah. you know, the ultimate goal is to, to reach out uh, beyond a streaming platform. We want to have brick and mortar facilities to, um, to give some options and take up load where the VA may not be able to uh, provide, right? And in the space of approaching meditation um, and stress in these types of things from a warrior's perspective, and and giving these men and women tools and techniques to understand that stress physiologically the body does not care where the stress comes from it could be combat it could be you know extreme service oriented uh professions or high stress environments for prolonged periods of time are going to have a replicable physiological effect on the body and we can reverse that if we understand the mechanics involved now you're talking about now now Vata Warrior is that is that yoga is that mental wellness like what 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 do you is it acupuncture what what kind of alternative therapies uh, does Vata Warrior offer Okay so right now what we are okay so it's all based on things that I used in my own uh, progression that have been in your own journey in, in, all of them every every single thing that we offer I have experienced personally to have efficacy in moving that proverbial ball down the field. I read the news releases from the VA every week uh, on the podcast. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of different things that the VA is starting to support, like supporting local homeless and local sports therapy nonprofits, um, seeing a lot of different uh, alternative strategies and, and wellness uh, with, the, with the Live Whole Health stuff. We have, we have meditation videos on our YouTube channel now. You know, I don't know if anybody knows that. 
but you know, I, I like seeing different therapies that, that, that work for different people. And it sounds like you've, you've experienced a lot of the, a lot of this. Absolutely. And this particular, I've tried a lot of different things, a lot yeah. of different things, putting this whole thing together. And this has been by far the absolute most powerful, um, most, uh, replicable of any type of system that I've tried that's out there. I don't want anybody to believe me. I want them to experience for themselves. So I don't work in beliefs. I work, I, I work in experiences and yeah. that's what this system is. It's mental disciplines within the warrior ethos. And when I say warrior, I don't necessarily mean a war fighter. I don't mean a war fighter. I mean a warrior. We're all in a war. And we're in a war for control of our own minds and ascertain to ascertain the truth of what is real for us, the why we've experienced what we've experienced, to gain the ability to incorporate those experiences instead of trying to get back to where we were before they occurred. We're given in life's experiences to gain strength so that we can carry on towards our true purpose. Everything else is just preparation. I, 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 I'm just talking what I've experienced. Yeah, you know what I mean? no, absolutely. Yeah. There's absolutely. a lot of skepticism around it, but I'm telling you, this stuff is real. And, well, it's, it's, uh, it's an alternative strategy that, that, you know, it definitely works for some people that, that go on that journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, and there's different strategies for different people. But at the end of the day, it's about getting your entire health, you know, your values and aspirations, your mental, your physical, spiritual, all that. Now, I, I personally haven't gotten too deep into it, but, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, like I said, with the VA has the, has the live whole health, which kind of digs a lot of into the, digs a lot into that, including yoga, meditation, a lot of different alternative therapies. So is there a one, one stop shop for everyone? No, but, but, and, and is the VA's solution perfect? Is, is anybody's solution perfect? No, I, for everyone? No, it's, and, and, but I think the VA, I like, and I like hearing about different alternative strategies because, you know, and I like incorporating a lot of this into the VA and, and seeing a lot of that. Uh, you know, the, the VA is a big ship and tidy, tiny rudder. Sometimes it takes a lot to. <laughs> That's a great. I've, not, I've never heard that one, right? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, uh, but it's but it's just like any other Fortune 500 company, any other department level. You know, any think about the Navy, think about the the Marine Corps. Um, but it's the only VA we got, right? And I think I think we just need to bring our our own experiences, our own skills, to make it better for all of us who who have put the uniform down. You know, and and I appreciate your experience, your your skills, your journey. That's why I brought you on here because I think many share or have shared your story during those growing pains that you've had. But many communities, like 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 I talked about earlier, that have had to deal with the sudden influx of veterans, uh, you know, medical, private industry, all of it. Uh, you know, they can learn for from everybody's journey. Absolutely, and um, that's the whole that's the whole thing. I'm not the same person. Now you got to understand. Um, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't born Mikhail Vega. I had a legal name change. Um, my first name is a contraction of swim buddy that was killed in Iraq, you know, uh, Michael Koch. And, uh, he, he was killed, uh, during a room entry in Iraq. And, uh, um, the other thing I want to bring up, and, and this is a testament to this type of practice uh, and, and what this practice is, this is a science-based practice. This isn't a religion thing. So if you, if you do religion, that's fine. You know, whatever your belief system is, that's fine. You know, this makes whatever it is you're doing better. 
it's all based on breathing, you know, sound, these types of things to get certain glandular secretions of the brain going so that you can balance your blood chemistry and have an experience of joy. You know, bring yourself into and and use tools and techniques to, to take the edge off of things that may be replicating in your life in a non-productive manner. This is why it's the foundation of Vital Warrior. Some of the, you asked about some of the other things that we incorporate. Um, there's acupuncture, myofascial release, uh, rolfing. I'm not sure if you, do you know what rolfing is? No. So no. rolfing is uh, the same as torture, except they don't ask you any questions. <laughs> I was going to ask you, is it the same as Ralphine? Uh, you know. <laughs> no. Okay. What, what they do is they anchor. So you have fascia, which is, fascia, which is a, a system that runs through the body that supports the muscles. And think of it as like a sheath that the muscle slides inside, right? If you crack okay. open an orange and it holds the form of the muscle, right? So if okay. you crack open an orange, the white stuff in an orange, that's fascia. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so overuse or injury or, you know, that th this fascia can adhere to the muscle in the form of scar tissue, right? And so the muscle can't flex all the way or how it should. So what they do is they, they use an elbow or the, uh, or they anchor it somehow and they have you flex the muscle and tear the scar tissue. That sounds um, a lot like what happens to my shoulder. Um, yeah. I do what's called trigger point therapy. Oh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, but uh, hmm. the raw thing thing is is kind of set up for the whole body, and uh, because they don't believe that like one area is is the cause of the problem, it's how the whole body's aligned, you know, that causes causes the, so they address it in a tin system, and okay. do like tin a series of tins is what they call it, and and hmm. or something along those lines, and then they and you go through ten sessions of uh, joy uh, but the effects <laughs> the effects completely realign the body like seriously and and get rid of years of chronic pain so uh and then there's acupuncture myofascial release uh, the uh i use flotation therapy you know joe rogan made that really popular yep. where you float yep. in the isolation tanks yep um and then uh you know there's tre tension release exercises that i am a level two instructor in that or facilitator of that um, and, uh, you know, all of these things that we want to make under one roof and I want to kind of make it like, and then jujitsu, but the art of the art of the martial art, not, not trying to like, just destroy somebody, but, but, you know, getting into this flow state of, uh, kind of like a meditative type of practice in the art. If you think of it more, if we can bring that kind of Tai Chi mentality to, uh, jujitsu, I, I, I is is kind of what I endeavor to do as and, well. And the, and the martial art in, in and of itself will just improve your flexibility. And there's so many good physical uh, benefits as well. You know, it's all a matter of perspective, right? If we approach it from that way, yes, it can do that. But if we get a guy that's like, you know, in a fear-based system or, you know, I want to conquer this person, uh, then you could do a lot of damage, you know, you can. So, so we, we come at it from a different uh, uh which which actually will increase your abilities uh, infinitely more um, fast. So we've been using chiropractic care uh, just free of charge, like like um, just helping helping with the load uh, for the VA there. You know that's yeah. that's how I always envisioned Vital Warrior being. Uh, originally, I was 
and uh, I was I didn't want to go anywhere near the VA because I had this thing stuck in my head that that they're going to try to put me on pills right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you had that experience with the with the DoD. Absolutely. Yes. So so yeah, that was my experience. That's, that's a natural and, reaction, uh, you know. And then over time, I learned that wasn't the case, you know, and and I I, I kind of relax those things, and and I understand the the main thing is just the irresponsible stuff that that we can get into, not just across the board. It, we we as humans, you know, we want to turn to a pill far too quickly, you know, we want a quick fix, you know, but um, rarely do I find people. Uh, that will actually sit down and and engage in something that will give them uh, a lasting type of uh, experience of progression in having a better life because it takes responsibility and hard work. Yeah. Um, to to incorporate those things, to understand from experience, to let go of habitual patterns um, that this stuff will bring to light. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And you heard yeah. my story. This yeah. is the hardest work I've ever done in my life. Um, and, and it's because you got to think of this thing as a martial art against your own mind or for your own mind, I should say. I can definitely see that. Very good. Uh, now, going back to your, your film career a little bit, I noticed in your acting credits, you've done a lot of roles where it looks like you can draw on some of your military experience uh both in, in physical and emotional ways. Is that, is that a technique of yours or like drawn on your own history? Uh, I think that's every actor's technique, whether they consciously do that or not. Sure. I don't see how, how it cannot be. Right. I, I think that um, the, any actor brings the breadth of their uh, life experience to whatever character uh, they portray. And that's their filter, you know, yeah. and, you know, and, and I think the degree of the the compelling performances that you see across the spectrum is all interdependent on how well they're able to tap into that. Absolutely. I completely understand that. Um, I also noticed that unlike, uh, unlike many military veterans in LA, uh, technical advising isn't what dominates your credits, mainly acting credits. Uh, now you did that for NBC's The Brave. Was it what was it like to, to go back into the military instructor role? Because I know you did that as a SEAL. And was that fun for you? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I had been working consistently as an actor when I was approached to do that tech advising role. Yeah. And uh, some of the people that I was involved with at the time, I was, they were like, they want me to be a tech advisor. I don't want to be a tech advisor. Yeah. Why don't you put me in the thing? Like, look at the script. <laughs> Why am I not in it? And... Uh, and that's one of the things that you know we kind of fight in in the veterans community. They, they a lot of times they want to they they have a perception of us as being able to tell these uh, being the holders of these really great stories and everything. Yeah. They don't necessarily see us as creatives uh, a yeah. lot of time. Yeah, I spoke about a lot about that with Jennifer Marshall and Dale Dye and uh-huh. where, where they talk about yeah, you know there there has to there's got to be a shift in. In the, in the Hollywood scene a little bit in that. Absolutely. And and we're getting there. But again, this is another one of those. Uh, yeah. What, what was that you said? It was a big ship, little rudder. Yeah. Tiny, so, <laughs> big ship, um, tiny rudder. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically what that all boils down to, and this is something analogous to us as veterans endeavoring to get into a creative uh, world to think about is, is that nobody's going to give you anything because you're a veteran. 
No. Uh, you might get – they're going to get – if it comes down between, you know, you know, a guy, you're up for a role as an actor. If, if you're up for a role that's a, a soldier, his past is being a soldier, and you have experience soldiering, that's not going to come into play until after they see the performances mm. between across the board. You know what I mean? It's just not. And, and we do ourselves a discredit uh, going in. And a lot of times, uh, um, you know, we, we have this expectation that, you know, we have an edge up if we have that. You know, those are, those are afterthoughts. Uh, it has been my experience. Yeah. You know, if you can bring, if you have the chops to bring it into the table, don't leverage, don't try to leverage your, your veteran history to, in, in expecting that you're going to get an acting job from that because uh, it simply has not been my experience that that's the case in most instances. Okay. Yeah. Um, they want to see that you can act, you know, so approach it like an actor. Do you think it's more difficult to train a, veteran to be an actor or for an actor to be a veteran? Cause I know you, you did do it. You did direct a short where you did direct an actor to be a veteran. Uh, well actually that, that, uh, my short, you saw my short. I did see your short. Yeah. Okay. Well that, that actor was a veteran. Oh, there, okay. There you go. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but, but, but say someone that isn't a veteran, what, what, what one do you think? What, what one do you, what, what one do you think is harder? It's been both ways. You know, I have veterans that are are very talented at uh, at acting. So, you know, but the first thing I'm considering is their acting. Like, how much work am I going to have to do as a director on set to bring this person up to speed on, you know, delivering the story I want? I mean, I have only have so many minutes in a day, and it's nothing personal. It's just I only have so many minutes in a day, yeah. and I don't I don't want to I want to spend it on choices of good, great, greatest, um, you know, uh, in the, when, in the editing room, yeah. you know, not, not, no, that one's not good. No, 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 no. We went through 13 takes of not good to get one okay take, you know, and, uh, that's not serving the story. That's not serving anybody that's invested in the story. Um, so those are the things that go into to account. Now, the other way around, you know, I have a guy like Mike Vogel that's, that's, you know, super talented in portraying, you know, soldiering, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he studies weapons handling. He's really dedicated, uh, to making sure he honors, uh, men and women that serve, yep. you know? And so he, he, and I've experienced that firsthand that he is one of the rare people that like take it that far down the field that, uh, truly, um, you know, yearn to be able to portray that type of thing in the most accurate way possible. And he was very amenable to any input I had. So when I was working on the brave, so the way that whole thing came down was, and you brought up the tech advising thing as well is, is I initially turned that thing down like three times Mm. and I didn't want to do it. You know, I was like, no, I'm not, (laughs) that's a slippery slope. We're not going down that road. Mm. And I, I was, uh, you know, and I had turned many uh, tech advising jobs down, uh, prior to that, sure. Teaching people how to destroy takes me back down that path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were like, just talk to the guy. Uh, and this was Dean George Harris, the showrunner. And I talked to him and I was like, he, he, he convinced me that he wanted to get it right and that he'd allow me to train everybody and, you know, run things on that, in that little sphere, the way that I saw that best served the story. And I was like, 
okay, I'll do the pilot. Let's go do the pilot in Morocco, you know, train the people for four weeks prior to. I really enjoyed it. And uh, they incorporated me at a level that I had. It wasn't just like, yeah, this is the way you should do this. It was, no, Mikhail said to do it this way. This is why we're going to do it this way because we want the thing to look a certain way. And that's why the Brave kind of worked out the way it did uh, as far as, you know, honoring the stories of those men and women uh, as best as we possibly could uh, while at the end of the day, you know, making a TV show, you know, so, but uh, it wasn't long before, you know, they were starting to uh, groom me for directing and allowing me to direct certain things and, you know, uh, and, and training me. Uh, John Terleski in particular was my mentor uh, and I got to shadow him a number of times and on the season finale, I was going to shoot second unit yeah. and get my DGA and all that type of stuff. And then they, you know, they canceled the show, pulled funding and didn't do a second unit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, no, <laughs> no, Mark Hamill at the end of the Empire Strikes Back was so, me. So close. Yeah. So close. So close. Gotcha. <laughs> it's good that you got that. You did get an experience to do that. That's pretty cool. What I did learn though, from the brave is that show up for the tech advising jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because- and that that was a complete flip of the table because that led to me directing, and so I got approached by, I got approached by Activision, uh, a buddy of mine that you know works at Activision, uh, Kevin Hendrickson. He brought me in to talk to the guys about you know coming in and you know being an advisor for them, and I, I was like, yeah, let's uh, take a look at it. That's I. A- I that's a unique gig. I learned it's an inroads to some other stuff if I if I just uh, deliver. And sure enough, right after everything started kind of getting in alignment, you know, COVID hit, and mm. there was a certain there was a number of um, there was a number of issues that uh, they they faced, you know, with getting the motion capture stuff done. And so you're talking about you're talking about being a, a motion cap director for for Call of Duty, right? That's right. That's a unique gig. So you had to during yeah you had to do that during COVID. Interesting. What what yeah. changed there? So we we basically the way this happened was there's an independent uh, rouge uh, mocap and it's a small little mom and pop you know mocap studio that uh, was willing to open up. We developed COVID protocols. Um, I I have a buddy of mine, a stunt choreographer or a stunt coordinator that has been working in the industry for a long time. He's kind of like a family member. Mm. I, I went up to him. I was like, hey, uh, I see an opportunity here uh, to kind of step in and do this thing for them because they couldn't do motion capture because Activision's a big, you know, corporation. And so they shut down their their mocap stages. And yeah. I was like, if I present this, can we do it? And he was like, let me check. And he teed everything up, you know, and he's like, absolutely. And I was like, hey, guys, you guys want to um, – Here's what we're offering. You want to check it out? And they're like, are you serious? Well, we're kind of shooting some stuff over here right now. We're using this, you know, this mocap company based in uh, Norwegian, uh, some Norwegian based company or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see. Can you do us a previs? And so we could just kind of take a look and see what you guys can do. And I was like, okay, Darren, we have to do a previs. We're going to, I'm going to direct this previs and we need to, like knock this thing out of the park yeah, and then we'll be able to eat for the next, you know, foreseeable future. <laughs> Roger that. So we absolutely crushed it. Right. We, we, we 
sent that thing, you know, uh, we, we, we shattered the scoreboards, so to speak. How did you, how did you do it? Like, I, was it remote? Was like he and one? Little so no, in? we went into the motion capture studio and did it. Oh, okay. Got we, it was before like anybody had any pro COVID protocols. We, yeah. we established, we're the ones that like here in the video game, like we were before SAG, all that type of stuff. And so we went in there, we knocked it out. We, you know, had masks, we were putting on gloves, you know, we were sanitizing, they're using UV light at night on all the equipment and everything and taking temperatures, logging, all these types of things that we, we established on our own, you know, so um, Activision liked that. And so they were like, what, what are they doing for COVID? And we kept it under like, because there was like a 10 person thing. We kept it under that, you know, our crew was, our casting crew was under that. And so, uh, we kind of became the only game in town for a little while there. Wow. And, uh, and we were delivering high quality content, you know, stuff they hadn't seen in their game before that they're super excited. I can't wait until you guys see it. <laughs> um, outstanding basically the uh, quick kill stuff, you know, so they wanted me, they go, Hey, we got this thing where, you know, we do these assassinations in game. Like in war, like in, like in war zone, if you sneak up on a guy. Yeah. Where where the guy's like in the last stand and then like you go up behind him and it performs this animation. Yep. Yep. Well, basically it's a fatality. Like if you play mortal Kombat, it's the fatalities of call of duty. Right. Yep. Yep. So we came up with like 300 of those. And, uh, and, and dude, there's there's wait till you see this stuff man you're gonna be like dude that's so cool (laughs) and it is so cool my team is amazing like like the the men and women that um we've been able to pull in on this thing you know it's they just delivered through the roof man and they they just made me so damn proud and i learned of a very critical eye like i can see when any little things like kind of out of place and i'd bring it up and they'd keep fixing it. And so I just kept bringing it up and they'd keep fixing it. Well, guess what? Just so happens animators absolutely love that. Oh, sure. You know, so so it kind of set the, um, it, it says on their work, you know, they get a good choreography with, you know, you know, they still have to rebuild stuff and all these types of things. Sure. But I've learned so much as a result across the board on that it's just been uh, an incredibly rewarding experience that continues to get like uh, we're we're getting ready to sign the third contract with them now. Well, that's, that's so, so cool that you got you got to you got to direct a lot of that a lot of those animations because i see them in the game all the time so when i did get to step into that seat you know i um i really found something different than acting and don't get me wrong i will always be an actor and i i want to act as much as possible it's yeah. just um, the directorial thing, the acting thing brings about a certain energy and the directorial thing brings about a certain energy in me as well. And, and as a director, I fully experience, you know, the ability, um, that translates from, you know, what I got to do, uh, you know, leading operations and combat to, it's a direct translation to, uh, you know, what I can do in film and television. Like I alluded to before, I was an average SEAL, but, you know, leading troops in combat, I felt like just for me on my internal is I felt like that's where I really excelled. Yeah. And like I was, I had this natural kind of flow to it. And I could see, I was, I'm very visual. I'm an artist. I could see where the different pieces are and how they played with each other. And I can, I can, 
articulate all that uh, through my communication to the different units that were engaged in X, Y, or Z part phase of the operation, right? And that translates directly to directing, right? So you have a vision, you you have the different units and the camera grips, you know, actors, writers, you know, all these different things, all vying for, you know, the same outcome, you know, yeah. working towards an identical mission. And it, it directly translated one to one. And then I have the visual aspect yet again. You know, uh, I've drawn my whole life. Remind me to share some of my artwork with you if you're interested. Sure, absolutely. Um, it's um, you'll be like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing, you know, and I've never been trained in it. I never I've never been formally trained in art, you know, so interesting. I have buddies now that like will look at my stuff, give me tips and like I got kind of this really cool thing going with one of the art directors from Halo and uh, he's a really good friend of mine. Fantastic person. Jeremy Cook is his name. And uh, and he'll get on and he'll like he'll teach me now, like one on one with like a master. You know, it's like you're also a tattoo artist as well. Right. As far as drawing. Yes, goes. sir. I did. Yes, I did sir. hear that in the, in the Vincent in the Vinnie Rock podcast that you were on. Did you ever get to ink him? You guys were talking about it on the podcast. Vinny? No, man. Oh, I got to hit him up, dude. That's right. Be like, hey, dude, come over here and get some slung. And he's going to hate me for the saying this, but I haven't watched past the pilot of my MC. Um, but that show is a continuation of the universe, Sons of Anarchy, uh, that the Sons of Anarchy, correct. That Sons of Anarchy started. Um, now, you spent time as a featured character on that show for a season, right? Uh, I, I saw the, Season two, yeah, yeah. I saw the video that the show put up on Facebook, uh, your pep talk, as it were. Uh, some pretty po- some pretty good positivity there. Um, it looks like you were the main protagonist for season two, right? Uh, for about half a season. How did how did how did you like your character's motivation, the arc, etc.? Uh, to be honest with you, um, it was it, man that was such a ph- phenomenal experience. Um, you know, Elgin, the showrunner, is a fantastic human. Uh, comes from a um, a uh, you know tumultuous past and is is it a prime example of how one can take those experiences and turn them into um, a creative source and, and he's a really good um, example of that uh, he he actually is uh, close friends with rock uh, Jocko Okay. Jocko, Jocko, uh, was my skipper. So, so <laughs> like I walk into the audition and he goes, so uh, I've never met this guy before. I don't know his background. I don't know he's connected to Jocko or anything like that. Wow. I go in, I do the performance. It's, it's, you know, he goes, let's get the business out of the way first. Go ahead. Whenever you're ready, do your thing. Mm. And, um, and you know, I get done and, and he goes, so you were a seal I hear. And I go, yes, sir. Uh, that's the rumor. And, uh, he's like, so you ever, you know, Jocko, I was like, and I look at him and I'm like, yeah, he was my, you know, commanding officer when I got out. Um, and he's like, Jocko's my bro. We go way back. He goes, I had to get the business stuff out of the way, you know, and, but you crushed it. So now we can have the conversation. He goes, uh, and, uh, you know, one thing led to another and this character only, uh, was designed to be two episode thing. You know, oh, it wound wow. up being, uh, you know, stretching to two oh six, which is great. Mikhail, what's uh, I know you, I know you have Vada Warrior. Is there another non-veteran nonprofit or an individual who you've worked with or you've had experience with who, whom you'd like to mention? Well, yeah, I work with VetNet 
Um, I worked with them for uh, for a number of years, uh, and they're based out of Orange County. And what they do is they help homeless or or newly home newly homeless or about to be homeless veterans get back into the workforce. They give them skills, Very cool. uh, clothe them, get them uh, prep them for interviews, and these types of things. Very good, um, Mikkel. What is one thing that you learned during your time in the military that you apply to that you apply to what you do today? If you were going to name one thing. Hmm. That's a deep question. Um, yeah. How am I going to keep that quick? One of the things that I've learned in the military that I apply to my life every day is that uh, the amount of resistance I feel towards something that I know in my subconscious I'm supposed to do is directly proportional to the importance of me having to do it. Mm. That's about as deep as answer as there was a question. Mm. <laughs> Very good. Is there anything that I may have missed or haven't asked that you think is important to share to someone that's listening? I think that the most important thing to share is that um, there is a reason that you we were giving given our experiences is to drive us towards the realization of experiencing the truth within ourselves so that we can take that truth, filter it through those experiences in a creative output that allows us to awaken, uplift, inspire, and uh, reproduce that effect in others. You can get to a place that no matter how horrible the experience, you can start to find the blessing of that experience even up to and including death of loved ones. My son, my son, the very son that I told you I had to step out of the military to, to help, yeah. passed away this year uh, at the age of 19. And I see the things I have learned as a result of that pain um, and this practice and, and being able to incorporate and understand and have these experiences in my practice of of the purpose of his life and how the event that I stepped in to, to, uh, you know, care for him for, you know, and help him through invariably ended in his death. However, that same event and that whole thing drew me out of a life of darkness. It drew me out of a life of darkness into a realm of creativity that I'm here doing today as a result directly because of those events of his life. And here I get an opportunity to carry that forward, uh, carry that mantle forward um, and and teach it to others all because of him and those experiences. So it's a great way to honor that, man. It's, 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 we can get to that state. We can all get to that state. We just have to be shown the way. And, and that's what, that's what I endeavor to do in film, television, storytelling, acting, directing, and vital warrior. I want to thank Mikhail for coming on Born the Battle and for his patience in getting his episode out there. In addition to this Born the Battle episode blog on blogs.va.gov, there is an additional blog that goes deeper into Mikhail's work and what he's all about. 
You can also find more information about Mikhail at RamaYogaInstitute.com forward slash teacher forward slash Mikhail hyphen Vega. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital team highlights a veteran on blogs.va.gov and on our main VA social media channels. You can submit a nomination by sending an email containing some photos and a short write-up to newmedia at va.gov. Philip Edward Bonner Sr. was raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Before joining the Army, he was a coxswain for his high school's crew team and played trumpet for the marching band. After the Army drafted him in 1943, he served with the 159th Combat Engineer Battalion. He landed at Utah Beach in Normandy a month after D-Day. Bonner then took part in the Battle of the Bulge and liberating Nazi concentration camps like Birchenwald in Germany. In December of 1944, Bonner's battalion helped defend Hill 313 during the Battle of the Bulge, where American troops prevented the German capture of a main road to Luxembourg. By Christmas Day, Bonner and his battalion were back in billets in Luxembourg. They were sitting around and relaxing when suddenly the 4th Infantry Division commander surprised the group with two cases of champagne. He told them that since they fought so courageously, they deserved to have some fun. Talk about things that never happened in Iraq. During his service, Bonner received a bronze star and a purple heart. After Bonner left the army, he became a Philadelphia police officer and later worked for the Pennsylvania Auditor General's office. He was a proud Irishman and a member of the Southwest St. Patrick's Club in Philadelphia. In 2001, Bonner served as Grand Marshal of the Philadelphia St. Patrick's Day Parade. Unfortunately, Bonner passed away on February 15, 2013, at the age of 87. Army veteran Philip Bonner. We honor his service. Ready. Hey. Five. Ready. Hey. Five. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or even on the Dot, on the Echo, or any of those other doohickeys you got in your house. Pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veteran and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly day and night. Brain simplified till we're down another campaign. My desk is a rock. We're